Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney continues our series, Raid the Darkness, with a message asking the question, what does Jesus know? Join us in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's beautiful out, isn't it? It's really, uh, looks like it's just going to be really nice here. Start warming up, right? We're in a series um, called Raid the Darkness. There's a lot of darkness in the world that we live in. So in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 2, that's where we are. And today, these, just these few verses that we're going to unpack today, I think they're, they're a little alarming. They're a little disturbing. It, if, um, if you're paying attention, I think it, it'll, it'll disturb you in some small way. And it, it's not my intention to uh, uh, unsettle you necessarily, but we focus a lot, it seems, in church on the love of God, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness. We focus on a lot of, of these qualities that we definitely need and definitely want. But uh, we, have to, we have to embrace all the truth in God's word. And so there's some things here today that Jesus actually says that we need to know and understand that are a little disturbing because he knows some things. So um, I, I just want to start by saying, remember, all right, we've, we've been here for a while now, just in the first uh, two chapters. Um, remember why John is writing this gospel. He is writing so that people might believe in Jesus, okay? And remember also that he is writing this gospel different than the other three gospels. The other three gospels sort of lay things out and, and record um, their experiences with Jesus. They're, they're, they're fairly similar, even though they have different purposes and reasons as well, the other gospel authors. Um, but John goes about it a lot different than the other three, all right? And uh, <clears throat> he doesn't necessarily put things in chronological order sometimes. I think in the Gospel of John, you have to pay attention to chapter breaks. They don't belong there, actually. They're put in there later. Today's one of those little times where it's like that between chapter two and chapter three. There shouldn't really be any chapter break there. So you just got to remember some of those things. And I, I think it sticks out a little bit more, that kind of stuff in the Gospel of John. So it takes work. Got to read um, God's Word and spend some time and soak it in. A lot of times we, we just want to focus on, on some verses because of the way somebody like myself might teach. But I think you should read through uh, the Gospels in just one one setting, one time, you know, once in a while, just read it all the way through and get a 30,000 foot view a little bit. And I, I think it's important to go about that as you study the scriptures. So today, remember, John's writing this gospel so that people might believe in Jesus. Now you're like, oh, well, isn't that the point of all of them? Yes. Um, in verse 31 of chapter 20, though it really sticks out, he says, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, so John's writing to help people really see Jesus for who he is, really get a good idea or a glimpse of the authentic real Jesus and experience his grace. He wants you 
and I to experience his grace, his glory, right? And believe in him as the son of God and that he and the father are one so that you can have eternal life. That's his core purpose, all right? But there are some disturbing ramifications that we're going to see in chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Let's just look real quickly. Starting in verse 23, it says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, many people believed in his name because they saw the miraculous signs he was doing. Verse 24, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Verse 25, he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he knew what was in man. Now, make sure you're looking for yourself in the scriptures. So, so here's some disturbing ramifications. And, and, and what it says is these, these, just these three verses right here. What, it, what, what is being said here, in essence, is that Jesus knows what is in every heart and so he can see when someone believes in a way that's not really believing. That's kind of disturbing. That's, in essence, what's going on here. In other words, Jesus' ability to know every heart perfectly leads us to the alarming truth that some belief is not the kind of belief that secures true relationship with Jesus and eternal life. Some belief does not save you. And when you say it like that, it's kind of alarming. And maybe it's making you go, well, is the kind of belief I have, is that the kind that saves you? Right? Or maybe you're thinking about somebody else and the kind of belief that they have. Right? So this is what I mean by alarming. It's somewhat disturbing. And, um, but it's something that I think is really important because these words are coming out of Jesus' mouth. Right? So there's two things that I want to focus on here that as you draw the truth out of the text. The first one is that there is the infallible knowing everything of Jesus. The infallible knowing of everything that's in Jesus. And that's a truth that comes out of this text. That's, you know, there's a, there's a word for it. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing, all right? And here's the other um, Things that thing that we're going to focus on, and that is that there's a kind of belief in Jesus that he does not accept or embrace. All right, so here's the the my first point. Uh, I'm just going to say Jesus knows everything. Okay, Jesus knows everything, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. But I want you to look at this infallible knowing because. I, I think that there are some things that we can see about Jesus in the text, and that's what John wants us to do. He wants us to see some things about Jesus. Remember that. Clearly, he wants us to see Jesus um, uh, truthfully as he actually is. I think you can see three things, or three, there's, I'm going to summarize it in kind of three statements, right? The first one, I'm going to summarize it as uh, 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 the radical statement, the radical statement, and it's in verse 24. He knew all people. He knew all people. That's actually pretty radical. All people. How does he do that? Here's the next one. I'll just call it the specific application of that, okay? Verse 25, he knew... uh, uh, he knew what was in man. He knew what was in man. That's the radical 
implication of knowing all people. He knew what was in man, what was in people, all right? And the, the implications of that are in verse 25. These are all just words right out of these um, verses. He did not need anyone to testify about man. So the truth that you can draw from this is that Jesus knows all about all people, all, everybody. No person is excluded from his knowledge. And no part of our life is excluded from his knowledge. He knows everybody and everything about everybody. That can be kind of alarming, actually, right? Wow. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 64. Just flip over a couple of chapters. You can see this verse right here. It's actually fairly profound. John 6, 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. And then whenever you see some parentheses like this in the verses, that's commentary or explanation from the gospel writer, right? For Jesus had already known from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. There, there you go. This should give you a little implication of what he's talking about here, some explanation because we know about this person named Judas, right? Jesus could see into the heart of Judas, the betrayer. Jesus wasn't surprised at his betrayal. Think about that. Let that sink into your heart just for a minute. He knew this about Judas. He could see into his heart. He wasn't surprised about it. Just let that sit on you for a second. There's been times that I've been impressed with someone's knowledge or wisdom and discernment with the motives and the actions of people. Actually, sometimes I'm super impressed with my wife and what she can see that I cannot see about people. What she knows that I don't know. What she observes, right? It's impressive. Maybe there's some people in your life that are like that, right? That are fairly impressive, right? In terms of their discernment and their understanding of people and their actions and why they're doing things. It's like they can just predict the outcome or behavior of people. And, and, you know, uh, some of the reason why I think Linda seems to be really great with this, I mean, she hires people all the time. She actually hires and fires people. That's her job, hiring, firing people. So she interviews people. She gets really good at kind of figuring stuff out, you know? You know, like just try to schmooze her with your resume. She's on to all those tricks. She knows, right? She just knows stuff. But here's the thing. What Jesus has though, is different. What he has is fathomless, measureless knowledge that's without limits. That's what he has. I mean, it's pretty enormous. Fathomless, measureless knowledge that is without limits. Nothing is invisible to Jesus. That's really kind of my next point here, right? It means that there's no unabridged secrets in your life, in my life. You may have been successful in hiding something all your life from everyone on earth, but you have not concealed it from Jesus. 
It's amazing how people keep talking about Linda here, but it's amazing because we get to talk about this all the time, where she will say, now, listen, um, you need to go in and take a drug test, okay? And she will say, is there anything you want to tell me before you do this? It would just be so much better if you would just say it. Then when I get the test back, and then we got to talk about it. So are you sure there's nothing that we're going to find here? And it's amazing how people will go, nope, nothing, nope. And then the drug test comes back or something comes back or they do the background check. And she's like, you know, I gave you the chance. I mean, I don't understand. Actually, if you just would have said, we could have talked about it and it would have gone so much better. But who, I, still they're just like, nope, drug test isn't going to show that. Right? She's like, seriously, the background check. It doesn't really lie. Is there anything you need to know? Isn't that just amazing? You can conceal it. You can conceal it from everybody on earth, but you cannot conceal it from Jesus. The person who matters most sees everything. The important person whose judgment really matters knows it all. That Just let that sit on you for just a minute and, 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 and still pretend like, you can hide it from him, right? You are un, uh, unmitigatedly and entirely known to the maximum extent by Jesus. There's, there's not an infinitesimal molecule, a minuscule molecule, part of your heart unknown to Jesus today or tomorrow. None. He can see it all. Now, there's always... I, I, that you can be scared of that, but it, it can be encouraging too. You know why? Because there's always one person who knows everything about you. Still, that doesn't make me feel great. Listen, you may be able to trust that others don't know certain things about you, but there is one who when you look him in the face, he sees totally right through to the real you. With Jesus, you are utterly laid bare. We are utterly known. And what an amazing relationship you can have with Jesus. There is one and only one who can actually totally know you. Nobody else even comes close. Your spouse's knowledge of you, your best friend's knowledge of you, compared to Jesus' capacity to know you, you know what it's like? It's like first grade math compared to you know first grade math, right? That's just one plus one is two kind of thing. You know, first service I said, that's where you learn your type, times tables. And I got accosted by multiple teachers. <laughs> I, you don't learn your times tables in first grade, dude. Right, so I was off. I was focused on this second part. First grade math compared to the motion and interaction of subatomic sub -atomic particles that incorporates the concepts of quantization of energy, wave-particle duality, the uncertainty principle, or, in two words, quantum mechanics. First-grade math compared to quantum mechanics. I worked really hard on the definition of quantum mechanics. <laughs> I should have focused on what first grade math was all about. 
that's the capacity to know you. That's not even close. That's the capacity to know you that Jesus has. Jesus knows you. So you always have someone to go for help, to go to for help in knowing who you are. Think of that. That actually should really encourage you. Don't you love it when someone gets you? See, if you're Tyler Vogt, you love that Danita gets you because nobody else does. Amen. Don't you love that when someone just gets you? You can fall in love with a person like that who just gets who you are, understands you, who, you know, you, they understand your nature, what sort of person you are. They know your deepest thoughts and feelings, your true and deepest motives. They know deep inside of you and understand the difference between feeling, willing, and doing. They get you. Huh. You know, I, I, I did something kind of weird. It was, kind of even shocked me. I, it's going to sound weird. I don't know. Maybe not. But I went to this little, little company called the Dent Doctor. You know the Dent Doctor? You know what they do? They take out little dents in your car just about that big. You know those dents? Don't, they, they just bug me. A dent that big disturbs me. It gets under my skin. I can't. I can look at the entire nice tr- pickup truck that I got. And I can only see that dent. So I went to the dent doctor because there's a dent that big in my tailgate of my truck. So I told Linda, I said, hey, I went to the dent doctor. And she said, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Not how much is that going to cost us? Why would you do that? That sounds dumb. Are you kidding? It's a truck. Oh. She didn't even flinch. Oh, yeah. Because she knows. I, there's a reason why we park three, 400 yards away from wherever we're going into. I don't, I don't want the door ding. I don't want it. It, it ru- ruined my day. Really upset me. I don't want the door ding. There's one who knows the complete you Jesus Christ. Do you remember Peter's three answers to Jesus' question after the resurrection? You remember that story? They're having breakfast. Campfire, fish, fish for breakfast. I don't know. Fish for breakfast. Yeah, you remember that? John 21. Turn over there. Just take a look at this. This scene again. This is crazy. Verse 15, John 21. Just flip the pages. Starting verse 15. Simon, son of John, this is Jesus. Do you love me more than these do? So what's Peter's answer? What's his reply? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus tells him what? Feed my lambs. Jesus says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, well, shepherd my sheep. Jesus says a third time, now I don't know about you, but somebody does this to me and I'm going to get perturbed right here on the third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's distressed. Imagine that. I can't see in his heart, but I can. I know in mine. 
Peter's distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, what? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replies, feed my sheep. Why is he doing this? Why is he asking three times the same exact thing? Jesus knows your heart perfectly. He's trying to draw something out here. He knows it better than you do. He's the one who is always willing to love you no matter what he knows is in there. So you always have a person who's willing to love you, knowing absolutely everything about you. And the reason I see he's willing to love you is that Jesus has a special covenant love for those who trust him. A special contractual, infallible love for those who trust him. He doesn't love everybody, though, in the same way. This is what's disturbing. Listen to the way he prays in John chapter 17. Flip over to John chapter 17. You just have to go back now from 21, right? John 17, 9. This is where Jesus prays for you and I, right? John 17, 9. I'm praying on behalf of them. Who's the them? We're going to get there. I'm not praying on behalf of the world, he says, but on behalf of those you have given me because they belong to you, Father in heaven, Father God, God the Father. That's who Jesus is praying to. In other words, Jesus prays for those that the Father has given him. These are his friends. These are his disciples. These are his sheep. These are the children of God. These are those who are born from above or reborn. Born again. These are those who believe. And you can be in that group, and I can be in that group, right? John 1, 12, you go back to the very first chapter, John 1, 12, we've been there. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. If you receive him, he will be the one who will love you, knowing everything, you could see with the disciples in John 16, 30. Now we know that you know everything and do not need anyone to ask you anything. Because of this, we believe that you have come from God. And I'm praying that he will compel and motivate you to love and to trust and to follow and to swear allegiance to the king. That's my prayer. I think that's John's prayer. Let's move on, though, to this second point that I was trying to say that we need to draw out, this truth. Belief that Jesus doesn't recognize this is the way I'm going to say it. There is a belief that Jesus doesn't acknowledge or recognize or validate, accept. And you can get to the next point, right? Pretty easy if you're just paying attention. This is the implication of his measureless his measureless knowledge that is without limits, by the way. John focuses on it. He draws out the implications, right? When Jesus sees into the heart of those who believe, he sees something more than the kind of belief or faith that makes you a child of God. John 1.12 again says, but to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. And then here in John 2.23, you just compare those two verses. 
Many believed in his name because they saw the miraculous signs he was doing. So it seems like Jesus should be really happy or really pleased with this, but he's actually not. Look at verse 24 now. Watch this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. This is again, what what does he know? This isn't the way he treats his own sheep, his own children, his own disciples that, it, that he calls by name, his, his own guys, right? When Jesus withholds himself from them, he's saying that they do not have a saving belief. They're not the children of God. Whatever their belief or faith is, Jesus doesn't approve of it. It looks like belief, but it's not really belief. That's what's disturbing, isn't it? It looks like it. I don't like it. It makes it hard on me sometimes. It's pretty critical that John clarify this. This is the way life is. It's better to have Jesus reveal this right now, right, and help us to come to terms with it than find out later when it's too late and then Pastor Ben's doing your funeral. I, 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 sometimes. I can't see in the hearts of everybody, right? But sometimes it's, I, I don't have much evidence to go by, and here I am standing up here trying to have integrity at the service, right, and talk about your saving belief. And I, can I say it out loud? I don't believe it. And, I, and you know, I, and I'm, I'm not about pretending. And believe me, I can do it. I do it all the time. I can do it. I will do it. Because, uh, you know, the service is about the living and not the dead because they're, it's over. They've already decided. So I can do it. <clears throat> Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I want Pastor Ben to do my service. <laughs> Believe me, I can do it. I can preach it and I can present the gospel. And barely talk about you. It doesn't, I don't have to. I don't know, that sounds kind of weird. You try it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, now, what, what's wrong with these people's belief or faith? Are there indicators here? Is there some indicators? Of course there are. Yes, absolutely. The first is the reference to signs that Jesus says about this in other places. And the second uh, thing that I think, a second indicator here is that this scene is an introduction to the story of Nicodemus that comes next. It's an awesome story because Nicodemus represents the people of John 2, 23, who believe not, the, not in the way Jesus validates or approves. And we're going to get to the story, but I'm just going to open up the door with it. Just a, just a second. Second, turn over to John chapter 3 and go just to verse 2. Just, let's just open up the story first, right? This guy, Nicodemus, here, here, here we go. It says, now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This guy's smart and he knows the Bible pretty good. He comes to Jesus at night. He comes to him at night because he's kind of worried about what everybody might think. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. 
For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus replies, and he says this, I tell you the solemn truth. That's like, you know, sitting down with your little toddler and going, hey, pay attention. I got something to say here, and you need to listen. Don't move your head. You ever done that? That's exactly what he's doing when he says that. Unless a a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of, of heaven. Unless a person is reborn, has rebirth, this transformation, born from above, born again. Unless that is true, then you can't see the kingdom of God. I think this is the kind of believing that Jesus sees in the people. We know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for we, uh, for we, 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 um, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. See, this is a statement of faith. Actually, it's it's what some God-fearing, devout Jews believe about Jesus. It's what Muslims believe about Jesus. It's a very lofty, high view of Jesus. He is from God. God is with him. What he does are signs of God's power in him. This is meaningful. It's noteworthy belief or faith. Signs that point to Jesus, right? But it's not saving belief or faith. (laughs) I know. Nicodemus wasn't born from above or reborn. <clears throat> That's the point of John 3 in those eight verses. We're going we're gonna to keep teaching through this, but Nicodemus, with all of his faith, he still needed to be reborn. With all of his belief, he still needed to be reborn. With all of his knowledge, he still needed to be reborn. Nicodemus had no spiritual life, actually. What Jesus saw was not spiritual in his life. He was still spiritually blind. He, didn't, he did not see through the signs and the wonders to the Son of God. He saw the awesome stuff. He only saw the signs. And they were so impressive, he naturally came to the conclusion, they must involve God. There's no other explanation. Look at the reference to signs in John 2, 23. This is the indication of what's wrong with a belief in John 2, 23. Here it is again. Many people believed in his name because they saw the miraculous signs he was doing. They believed when they saw the signs. The signs were meant, though, to point to the true Son of God and what he stood for. But many saw the signs and didn't see what they stood for, did they? There's a lot of people like that. That's why the darkness is so thick in the world that we live in. You know, Jesus has some brothers. It's kind of amazing. You got any family in your life? Watch this. John chapter 7. Go to John chapter 7 just really quick. Jesus gets some advice from his brothers. Once in a while, I get some advice from my brother. Watch this. Here's his advice in verse 3, John 7. Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples may see your miracles that you're performing. For no one who seeks to make a reputation for himself does anything in secret. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for not even his own brothers believed in him. Isn't it crazy to be that close to Jesus and not even get it? Don't even understand what he's all about. What were they all about? 
It's shocking. Verse 5 gives the reason his brothers wanted him to go do these miracles and get some attention in Judea. It's because they didn't believe in him, right? They knew he worked miracles. They believed that. They were excited about it, and they wanted wanted him to go public, right, and get the attention he deserved. But John says this is unbelief. Why? There's something missing here. It's called humility. There's an explanation in chapter 5, verse 44, just go, go back a page or so, right? How can you believe if you accept the praise from one another and do not seek the praise that comes from the only God? See, Jesus could see what no one else could see. Here again, his brothers loved the glory of man, and they loved all the stuff he did. And they saw Jesus, the miracle worker, and their chance for a little bit of getting kind of caught up in that too. In other words, real saving belief in Jesus, though, is humble. It's what broken people have, not what sign and wonder lovers do or have. So there's some dangers. There's some dangers. So many people run from one set of signs and wonders to the next, just craving the sensational. They follow the latest spiritual celebrity until he leaves his wife or takes the money and the jet. Jesus is warning us about this. Go to Matthew 24. So just one gospel or other gospel reference would get outside of John just a little bit. Matthew 24, verse 24. So Jesus answers with this in verse 24. Watch out that no one mislead you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. Lots of people mislead us. There's lots of things that that's what makes our world so dark, actually. They'll do real signs, stunning miracles, Jesus says. And what will the sign seekers do then when they see the, 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 the stunning stuff, right? They fall away from following Jesus. They have a kind of belief or faith. And that's what Jesus is warning us against um, right here for our own souls. Paul describes the end times like this. Everybody wants to know how it's going to all go in the end. 2 Thessalonians 2. Here's what he says. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 9, says, The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miraculous or miracles and signs and false wonders and with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. See, it comes down to truth, doesn't it? There's going to be signs and wonders in the last days before Jesus comes. They will be real. And they will be lies. And they will be full of deception. And, and, and many people who profess to believe in Christ, a kind of belief that is false belief, a belief or faith that does not love the truth. They'll switch that belief and faith from Jesus Faith in Jesus, the sign worker, as they view him, to another sign worker who seems to be more impressive, and they will die. So what does this have to do with me? Hold still. Here it goes. It's just a real simple summary. That's all it is. What's this got to do with you and I? Well, you've already been churning about it just a little bit, I'm certain. 
Number one, there's an infallible knowing of everything in Jesus. So that is important. He knows it all. So you can't pretend. He can see inside of everybody. We just went through that, right? I don't got to do the math for you. So there's a kind of belief in Jesus that he does not accept or embrace. So you need to consider what kind of belief do you have? What's going on? Is it, are, are you kind of one of those all talk, no do sort of thing? Just sort of depends on what's going on. So number two is your belief based and grounded on a spiritual sight of the only son of God Uh, the only son from God the Father? Or is your belief focused on the signs and wonders of Jesus and not what they're pointing to? They're pointing to the true Jesus, right? That he is the son of God, that he and the Father are one. So number three, do you see Christ and his cross as completely worthy of your admiration, but requiring your allegiance? Requiring your allegiance, right? You you can't go about this halfway. You have to be all in with this. He has to get all of your life, all of you. There's nothing hidden, no compartments. It's like everything but this. I'm kind of busy. All of this, except I I got these debts I got to pay first, you know. All of this except for... Right, right? I don't got to make that up, right? You, you know what they are. Do you see Christ and his cross as compellingly worthy of your admiration, but requiring your allegiance? So there's some belief that's not really saving belief, huh? A little disturbing. I don't want it to be discouraging, though. This is nothing like Having somebody in your life who really gets you, is there? It's the best thing in the world. You can be yourself, and you are unconditionally loved. But the requirement is to swear allegiance to the king. Father, thank you this morning. Help us to remember why your servant John's writing this gospel so that people would believe. So this is important stuff that we need to understand and know and believe ourselves. The world around us is pretty dark. So we need the truth to set us free from all this. Sometimes the truth seems alarming. I'm praying, oh Lord, that we would find the encouragement in this deep truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.